chance favors the prepared mind and the tax side. So we need to just kind of be prepared and thinking about some of those potential tax increases and how it may impact us as investors. This month on Ebb and Flow, we examine the topic of infrastructure in America as Congress considers and debates not one, but two infrastructure bills. To help us with this interesting and complicated topic, we tap the brain power of Shane Lieberman of the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy. Shane and team spend their time on the ground in Washington, D.C., alongside policymakers, regulators, and political leaders working on a variety of issues and collecting insights of value to UBS clients around the world. In our conversation, Shane describes the history of infrastructure efforts past, the trajectory for the two bills under current consideration, the politics at play, the business interests, and the closely watched questions of funding and changes to the tax code. On behalf of my Long River Wealth Management partners, Tom Lips, Andrew Worthington, Ashley Martella, and Paula Rose, and our entire team of 12, welcome to this month's edition of Ebb and Flow. Shane Lieberman, thank you so much for joining our podcast. We really appreciate it. No, thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you. I wish I got to see you in person. It's been a while, but I hope you're well. Yeah, we are all doing well and hope to see you in person soon enough indeed. So, Shane, let's let's begin our conversation about infrastructure by talking about the history of infrastructure bills in this country. What are some of the success stories and failures in terms of building or fixing our infrastructure in the United States? Yeah, well, I mean, here we are, it's, you know, 2021, and infrastructure has had a, a decades-long success story, you know, really kind of starting probably in the 50s with President Eisenhower and the interstate system is really when it kind of took off. And you saw that growth also kind of propel a change in our society where, you know, everything wasn't just local. It really expanded markets and expanded access, you know, to markets, but also expanded, you know, me going to visit my grandparents in a different state with ease. So it is, has been had its successes. I think there have been failures, you know, the past 15 years or so because, you know, Congress has not drop the ball here. It's just run up against that age old question of how to fund somebody. So, you know, I think over the past years, uh, we've lagged behind in a lot of the upgrades that our infrastructure system needs. And that's been reflected. You see, I think it's the Civil Engineer Society essentially gives our infrastructure a C minus grade. So we could be doing more to really keep up with the times and have the proper infrastructure in place for our society. So Shane, let's fast forward to today. And there does, of course, seem to be now an appetite to move this forward. And, you know, the Biden administration has made this a seeming priority. And as part of that, the Biden administration has broadened the definition of infrastructure beyond just roads and bridges and tunnels to what some might term softer or more social safety net items, if you will. So can you talk about the current administration's reasoning here and maybe some of the opposing viewpoints to this approach? Yeah, I think there are really, well, we should distinguish. There are kind of two bills here moving. One, there's the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then there's this social infrastructure bill. Now, in first in that bipartisan infrastructure bill, that still kind of takes a broader definition of 
infrastructure. Typically, when we're talking infrastructure, we're talking about highways, bridges, and, you know, maybe ports and waterways. This bipartisan bill also looks at broadband, the electrical grid, which has been faulty not only in California, Texas had some issues with uh, severe weather just a few months ago. So this does take a little bit broader of a infrastructure scope, but I think generally speaking, most people think would agree that what's in this bipartisan bill fits under what we think of as infrastructure, especially as our society evolves. Remember, you know, say 100 years ago, we were trying to make sure that all Americans had access to electricity. Now we're trying to ensure that all Americans have access to broadband. And especially as we've learned in, in the past 18 months or so with the pandemic, how important broadband is. But then to your second, to your greater point, you know, we have this second bill, which is really kind of uh, what many are calling like social infrastructure, talking about things like universal pre-K so that, you know, more parents are able to join the workforce versus trying to figure out, well, does one of us stay home to provide daycare for our children? So it's kind of a, a different lens on infrastructure, but what is that social safety net that kind of leads the infrastructure in the greater sense of our entire country? And and it, it's been controversial, though, Shane, no, that, that, that this expansion, you know, whether you agree with it or not, I mean, that, that there are some who don't and, and who consider this, I guess you could call it an overreach. Can, can you talk about some of the sort of opposing viewpoints here? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the one, the bipartisan bill is generally bipartisan, you know, it had almost 70 votes in the Senate. In the House, it's being held up more for kind of political strategy reasons. But you're right. This second bill that hits on the social angle of infrastructure, we'll say, is has criticisms. You know, I think there are a lot of questions about what is the function of government? Is it to provide roads and bridges or is it to be kind of that cradle to grave big brother who is helping you out? And you even have moderate Democrats, you know, and who are have a lot of concerns about this social infrastructure. I think that some of the moderate Democrats are willing to go on board with some of it, but not all of it. You know, some people are talking about including expansions to Medicare in this package, which I think is a possibility, but it's kind of a, a question of how far and that, how wide you're going to expand Medicare. You know, moderate Democrats may go for a certain amount of expansion, you know, let's say covering hearing aids and dental and vision, which are currently not covered by Medicare. I think that's an expansion moderate Democrats would go for. Moderate Democrats may not be on board with a full single-payer healthcare system where it's Medicare for all, as some Democrats on the far left have called for. So there are dividing lines, and I think you'll see kind of more of that delineation happen actually in September where moderates are going to start pumping the brakes, per se, and saying, no, here's where we are and we'll, are not willing to go. So let's talk about the the trajectory of this thing. And and you mentioned, you know, some of the political strategy that, that's going on behind the scenes and where this bipartisan bill is held up in Congress right now. Joe Biden himself sort of accidentally linked these two bills together, if I remember correctly. And that led to, obviously, a lot of hemming and hawing. But wh where do these bills go from here? The bottom line question here is, do you predict passage of one, of both, of neither? At the end of the day, where are we going to be here? 
Yeah, no, I think I'll predict passage of something. Okay. This is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, because what you see is actually kind of a standoff between moderate Democrats and progressives. And how that's exactly going to play out is kind of the mystery. So what's happening this week, as you and I talk, is that House Democrats are going to try and advance what's called the budget resolution. And this would set up the process for the budget reconciliation bill, which is the vehicle for that social spending. But you have moderate Democrats balking at this effort, saying, we we just want to vote on the bipartisan bill first. Let's do that. It's bipartisan. And then we can move on. Progressives oppose that tact because they're concerned that if that happens, then moderate Dems will, you know, essentially call it a day and not be interested in advancing that social uh, infrastructure legislation. So you have a standoff between the two. Speaker Pelosi is trying to play to the larger crowd of her party, which is the progressives, and kind of dare the moderates to oppose moving forward. And that's actually kind of, you know, what Joe Biden was trying to do, was trying to thread that needle because he understood some of the frictions between the, the moderates and progressives. And he understood that, you know, how this plays out could peril the entire package, not only the hard infrastructure, but the social infrastructure. So it's it's a very fine line, you know. So I think well, we see something happening, but the next few weeks are going to be rocky. There's a chance that it is just the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passes into law and nothing happens on the social side, which actually is really important besides the spending in there, is that's what would be the vehicle for potential tax increases. There's a chance that the bipartisan bill doesn't move and they just do one package and kind of it's a hybrid of the bipartisan bill and the social spending and tax increases. That's a real uh, possibility. And then you, of course, have that possibility of nothing happening. I, I don't see nothing happening because Democrats do need a win on the board. Their backs are against the wall, politically speaking, you know, between Afghanistan and frustrations growing with the agenda being stalled in general. They really need to get a win on the board. So that will get them to coalesce around something. But that something's a little bit in flux. So I, I would like to talk a, a little bit more about the tax side of this or the, the funding of these bills in a minute, and, and we'll get to that. But I, before that, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about the political side. I wanted to switch over to sort of the business lobby a little bit. I mean, I suspect most segments of business and most lobbyists representing businesses are for the infrastructure bill. But are there some for, some against? And of those who are for it, who, who stands to benefit the most? Yeah, no, pretty much everyone is lobbying in favor of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And, and you know, from the Chamber of Commerce to unions that w- their workers would benefit because they would see this spending bill that, that really sets in motion infrastructure spending and they would have sustained jobs for years to come. But there was this, you know, the business community is a little bit kind of wary and concerned with what this means for that secondary bill that would increase the tax increases. So it's kind of a double-edged sword here of I'm trying to play nice and do the right thing because I believe in this infrastructure bill, but I'm also scared of the potential tax increases. So you have the business community, you know, a little bit paranoid of its own self here, you know. So it's fascinating to watch. But by and large, the bipartisan infrastructure bill is pretty uniformly supported. You do have 
some people within the business community saying, well, hey, you know, maybe we should move a few dollars from this program to that program or, hey, we, we support broadband and we think broadband actually needs an extra five billion over that 65 billion that's already being committed in this bill. So those, those are, you know, not minor squabbles, but most of those don't actually imperil the chances of the bill. It's kind of the larger politics at work that's going to determine its fate. Hmm, interesting. So Shane, are the projects that are in scope, I guess we could confine this to the first bill, are they shovel ready, so to speak? And, and what is the timing of these sorts of projects? Are we talking kind of months, years, decades? Yeah, so, you know, I think Congress feels a little bit burned by that 2009 infrastructure, or, I'm sorry, stimulus bill that many believed was an infrastructure bill that really was focused on shovel-ready projects. And that was, you know, that was the goal back then because of where the economy was to try and immediately get people back to work. So fast forward to today, this is kind of a longer term bill. I think it goes through uh, FY25 so or 26. So we're looking at a four or five year bill. So it is looking at longer term projects, you know. So say you live in a community where you know you're building a bridge, but that bridge is still going undergoing the environmental impact studies and is actually not going to be ready to be built, let's say, until 2023. This is probably a good bill for that scenario because this will have funding in those years to come for those kinds of projects. So it's not really shovel-ready. I would say, though, that a lot of this money is actually federal dollars that is spent by state. So, you know, when you're looking at state priorities to figure out where they want to spend it, some states may be focused on shovel-ready projects where others may be focused on those bigger long-term projects. So that's kind of maybe a little bit disconnect, but overall, this isn't a bill focused on shovel-ready projects. Interesting. Hmm. So, Shane, let, let's get back to the to the funding of these bills, particularly the second one. I'd ask you if you could to sort of dive a little bit deeper into the proposed or the, the changes to the tax code that are sort of on the table right now and being debated. So what could this look like? You mentioned the specter for businesses of, of taxes going up for them as a result of this, but also individually, what do we see here? Yeah, no, and this component is really fluid. Before we get into specifics of, you know, uh, potential changes, what you first have to understand is that, you know, Democrats have a few choices to make. In that secondary bill, how much money do they actually spend? And do they want to pay for all of that new spending? We think Democrats will actually choose to pay for some of it. So, you know, we're right now envisioning $2 trillion in spending and maybe about a trillion in tax increases. So what will it take for them to reach that number? And that's really important because it is kind of a numbers game to an extent. You know, the policy is important, but when Democrats set out their budgetary goals in the coming days and weeks, that's really going to be important. So to reach that trillion dollars, we see a couple areas that are likely, and a couple areas that are possible, and then a couple areas that are probably not going to happen. In the likely category, I would probably put four things, two on the business side and two on the individual side. On the business side, increase the corporate tax rate, probably 25%, even though Joe Biden has called for 28%. And then a big revenue raiser will be 
how to tax multinational corporations. President Biden's proposals here raise almost $900 billion. So that is a big dollar amount, especially if you're trying to raise a trillion dollars. I don't think they'll go as close to $900 billion as President Biden would like. I think they're probably going to have that. So still several hundred billion dollars. So if you're investing in multinational corporations, this is definitely an area to keep an eye on because at the end of the day, it could be more impactful to a certain company than an increase to the corporate tax rate. Every company is different and the profile is different. So it's something to keep in mind. On the individual side, so the likely category, you know, an increase to the marginal income tax bracket from 37% today to 396 I also think that bracket could be expanded today. Um, you know, today it applies to, I think, married couples earning $628,000 and above. Keep in mind that the Biden administration has really been talking about not increasing taxes on those that earn less than $400,000. So that, that threshold of who that bracket applies to could easily grow and uh, more individuals could be caught in that bracket. And then fourth, I would say, you know, in the likely category is, Capital gains. We we do anticipate that capital gains will be increased from 20% today. President Biden has called for increasing it to ordinary income tax rate for the highest earners. I think that's probably not going to happen. That may be a bridge too far. And going back to what I was saying about the revenue goals and raising money, in actuality, what the estimators will tell you is that if you raise capital gains that high, people will sit on gains and not realize gains, and therefore you'll actually lose revenue to the federal treasury. So 28%, I think, is kind of the high watermark for where capital gains will go. You know, it could be coming at 25, but I think somewhere around there is the right spot that Democrats will land. Then from there, you know, I, I mentioned maybe the second category would be possible changes. I think the number one thing to mention to you is changes to estate taxes. You know, President Biden's talked about eliminating step up in basis. I think that's possible, but I think it more likely is that moderate Democrats will balk at that and we'll be talking about traditional estate tax issues like the exemption level and the tax rate. And I think that's possible, but not a slam dunk. There are a few moderate Democrats who are not fully on board with that. Another possible change is the elimination of like-kind exchanges. I think that falls short, but I don't, I don't think you can rule that out today. And then finally, I mentioned the category of things that won't happen. We don't expect a wealth tax. We don't expect a financial transaction tax. And there are many other things in this category. But I think that's how I would kind of quickly break down the tax landscape as of today. Well, I'm going to listen to that answer a few more times uh, on replay because I think there's some great information in there, Shane. So th thanks for that that rundown. And obviously, we will all be keeping a close eye on these deliberations as they advance. So Shane, let me ask you this question. How will the infrastructure discussion play out in the midterm elections, in your view? I mean, these are coming up and, you know, I kind of wonder you know, how the candidates will sort of position this, will spin these conversations. And also, you know, if, if this thing does go through or some part of it, will that benefit, you know, one side or the other? Yeah, no, great question. I think, you know, if you're a moderate Democrat or a moderate Republican who probably 
has one of those tougher districts to get reelected in or states if you're a senator, you're hoping that this bipartisan infrastructure bill passes. And then you're hoping to go home for that ribbon cutting for, you know, a new bridge, a new highway, you know, uh, port improvements, et cetera. And, you know, that will be very popular back at home. I think the second bill, the social safety net uh, kind of infrastructure, that is popular with Democrats. Uh, It is not popular with Republicans. If you're a moderate Democrat, you know, and that passes and you voted for it, you're going to have a probably a tough election if you're in one of those, you know, swing districts or Mm -hmm. swing states. So, you know, it cuts both ways. I think at the end of the day, though, you and I are talking here at the end of August. And I would expect all of this to be wrapped up probably in the October time frame. We, as a society, do have kind of a short-term memory. Right. And by the time we get to, you know, April next year, we're going to be only thinking about things like Afghanistan or, you know, whatever the issue du jour is. Yeah. So those who vote for it will try to remind people. And it will help with certain constituencies that are very interested in it. But it may be a fleeting moment in the political cycle. Hmm. You know, I'm going to ask you what, what I, you know, it may be a controversial question and, and I, you know, I don't want to get political here, but I, it's, it's really, uh, I'm curious that if the second bill passes and, and suddenly people's child care is paid for or, or, or things like that, doesn't that have the potential to transcend some of the political side here? I mean, that's going to benefit any parent, no matter their, their political sort of preferences. No. And yes. I mean, yes and no. Again, it cuts both ways. I was currently paying for daycare of two kids. You know, yes, I would not like to have that bill in, in my inbox right now. But the reality is, is that it's a lot of spending that Democrats are looking at uh, on the heels of trillions being spent on COVID. Right. And that for Republicans gets their base fired up and reminds them their concerns over the debt and deficit and big government getting into too many aspects of their lives. You know, how would, you know, if someone is uh, right now thinking that big government is pushing them to wear a mask, how are they going to feel about big government raising their kids, not from just kindergarten now, but from birth? So that's the kind of the perspective that some people may have. So it's not always as simple, you know, as kind of a black and white. There are definitely gray areas here. But I think if I was if I was a moderate Democrat in a swing district, I would want the bipartisan infrastructure bill to pass and not that social bill, because it's going to be a tough climb for, for that per, that uh, elected official. I think, though, what you see progressive arguing is that we have to excite our base because the Republican base is excited for 2022. And the way to do that is to pass this larger package. And I think the reality is, though, when you look at the kind of elections coming up, it's going to be very tough for Democrats to hold the House. They have such a narrow majority today. I don't know if anything can, quote, save them from losing the majority. You know, you have redistricting, which will reshape districts, and it remains to be seen if that will benefit Republicans or Democrats, but, or it could even be a wash. But right now, you know, the odds are Republicans favor to gain the House. The Senate is a little bit different. So strategists are working 24-7 to come up with a blockbuster strategy to, to either retake the House or for Democrats to hold the House. But sometimes, you know, strategy doesn't matter. It's just an inertia of public will. So, you know, I think sometimes elected officials get too 
into, well, if we pass this, we're doomed, or if we don't pass this, we're doomed. This is a novel idea. Maybe they should just focus on what they think is best. Right. That's terrific perspective. And, and thank you for highlighting the different the different viewpoints on this, which which really are really important. So Shane, I, I've done this to you and I've done this to John Savrakol with whom you work. And it's typically how I end an interview. I want you to imagine you're, you're getting on an elevator in an office building. Imagine being in an office building again, but say you were, you get on the elevator, there's a UBS client in the elevator. And, and she says, Shane, what can you tell me about infrastructure on this elevator ride? How would you sum it all up? Something positive is going to happen in infrastructure space. And, you know, it's just a question of the size and the details. I think no matter what, we're going to see a trillion dollars put towards infrastructure and hard infrastructure as we typically think of it. Chance favors the prepared mind and the tax side. So we need to just kind of be prepared and thinking about some of those potential tax increases and how it may impact us as investors. Great answer, Shane, and great interview. I appreciate all of your perspective and all the work that you do across all these political topics. So many thanks, and we hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you, and hope you're well and stay safe.